Hi, and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. Kylie Stone, I am beside myself with excitement to have you on this podcast. Thank you so much for agreeing to do it. Oh, you're very welcome. And I'm looking forward to chatting with you too. <laughs> uh, it's going to be awesome because I don't know a whole lot about your background and I'm inherently nosy. So um, <laughs> here we go. I want to know all about you. So the first thing is though, why don't you tell people listening what it is that you do and what you're, uh, yeah, what, what it is that you do and why you're doing it. Yes. So my area of expertise now, uh, working as a consultant and coach, uh, in leadership transformation and resilience. Uh, wow. I, so, I, you know, it's it's an interesting one because when people ask me specifically what I do, you know, you've got to kind of think about what are the areas or labels or categories. Uh, yeah. And I'm, I think most easiest is to identify myself as a leadership coach because technically speaking in the industry, that's where it seems to fall. Um, yeah. But specifically transformation, I think if you were to look at what's my deep expertise – uh, transformation is specifically it. So how does one alter the existing reality to produce results? Whoa, that just sounds incredibly impressive. So, okay, well, let, what I'm going to do is I'm going to flip all my questions around. So tell me about your entrepreneurial journey or your business career, really, from leaving school through to now, because I bet when you left school, you didn't say, when I grow up, I want to be a transformational leadership coach. Oh, gosh, no. <laughs> That's certainly. So tell me how it all happened. Well, it's interesting. So my journey, so I'll start from when I, my first journey as an entrepreneur uh, didn't okay. occur as that for me. It occurred more like, and I think this is a generational thing, that I was going to be a business owner. And that okay. happened for me in 2000 and officially in 2015 when yep. I took a redundancy from News Corp. Uh, I'd been working there, uh, look, I'd been working at that point for, tw- I think it was 23 years I had completely as an employee. And, and what were you doing? What were you doing in, in, when you were in business as in and as an employee? Yeah, so I was, an, you know, pretty much an employee straight out of school all the way up until 2015. I And then I, uh, that was, so that was the first transition I had to starting my own business. Um, so right. that's been five years in that specific journey. I, I didn't, uh, you know, I don't, I, even at that point, you know, it was really a, uh, that was a surprising transition, you know, like I never set out to go do that for myself, you know. Yeah, but, but just can I just wind you back a little bit to see what were you doing when you were employed that yes. made you even decide to do a leap? So, yeah, what what was the background to it all? Yeah, well, I, so I spent, uh, Risa, my Technically speaking, I'm a strategist, so right. uh, my deep experience in media. So I worked in media pretty much all my career, apart from I think maybe three or four years. So out of those 23 years, I spent three years where I did a, an exit and I went and worked in a um, in the fitness industry. Um, but so <laughs> that's a good exit. <laughs> well, I always start describe it as my midlife, my early midlife crisis. You know, like I'd worked in media. <laughs> I came out of look. I basically came out of. Um, I did a college diploma because I didn't want to go to university uh, yeah. at that time. Um, I didn't only because I didn't want to leave my home and my family because uh, at that stage yeah. I was living on the Gold Coast and you know I was born in Sydney. moved We moved to Queensland and I went to went to school up there. And uh, at that stage there were no local universities on the Gold Coast. You know you had to go to Brisbane. Yeah, right. or, and then um, Griffith University had just started, but I, I just didn't want to leave my family and friends. So I went and did a diploma, uh, college, right. went to college basically, and I kind of excelled. I came first place in pretty much everything. And the marketing wow. director- Was it a marketing diploma? Uh, yeah, marketing and advertising, actually. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, you, so that was the beginning of the media thing. Yeah, and then what that's sort of right. Media and even at that into? point, you know, it didn't even, it wasn't even on my radar that I'd go work in media. It, what happened was the guy who was the marketing director for the newspaper, uh, they yeah. were sponsors of the, of the program and they were there on the night of our graduation. And I had, you know, as I said, I got kind of topped everything. So yeah. I, as I came off the stage, he gave me his business card. He said, listen, come and see me. I've got a job for you. So, I, you know, as any graduate oh would know, God. 
that's just remarkable. You're like, yes, you know, I've got a job. <laughs> I can only imagine how excited you were that night when you kept on, when you went home, kept on looking at that car going, oh my God, he came up, I might have a job. Oh, <laughs> uh, you wouldn't believe it. Like, seriously, I was that excited. I, I literally, the following week, immediately rang him. Like, I did not, like, I did not go, oh, should I, should I not? No, no. no. I rocked up, I sat out. <laughs> I even remember the day that I went in there, I sat in reception because he was busy. And so I yes. hung around for hours waiting because I was like, I am not going anywhere. Um, uh, and that was my, and that was how it came about, you know. People said, "Oh, did you always dream about getting in media?" I was no, it was never it my just thing. Happened. So that's kind of how it started, and from there, I just really worked my butt off. Basically, like I was very good. I, I was in data. I moved out of marketing into research. Um, fell in love with data and analytics, and uh, then ironically found my strength using data to work with the editorial and sales teams to. Uh, grow the business um, specifically in generating advertising revenue and increasing the readership of the newspaper. So that would have, was that was that pretty unusual at the time because I I know data is like everything to everyone now. Yes, but twenty years ago people were kind of looking at it on bits of paper, really, weren't they, and not delving in the same way that they do now. Or was it the same? Maybe I'm just no, you know, no, it's very different. I mean, we had the very first computers that were into the organisation, so you know, it, wow. as researchers, I, I think even at that time the edit you know in the journalists uh were really off very old you know word processing type the computers and then we had them you know the sales to like i remember having to train the secretaries in the business on how to get off typewriters and use a computer that's how it was like Right, yeah, which were pretty exciting. I mean, I do remember my first word processor and I was beside myself with excitement. Yes, yes. But from a data point of view, yes, it was very early days. And technically speaking, I think now they call us data scientists. Um, And so we had to do a lot of our own coding uh, to get data. But I fell in love with the interpretation of data. You know, like I remember, I, I can never forget the first time I printed out all the stats I remember reading the stuff and converting it and being fascinated by what it was saying about human behavior. And so my job was then to work with the sales teams and and the editors in being, being able to identify opportunities in the market and then help them create stories and angles to pitch uh, to clients to generate revenue and then from an editorial perspective to, to do stories that were targeted to our audience. So, you know, I mean, of course... Amazing. It, you know, when Renee Brown came out and said she was a, da- you know, she tells stories through data, I was like, okay, you know, oh, well, it's, <laughs> it's, now, it's now kind of popular. <laughs> yeah, right. But you've been doing it for such a long time. So what happened from there? You, you were working away with data and then just slowly moving your way up the organisation or did you change yeah, organisations? No, or? I did the very old school way. I spent four years in that job. Um, my, I have a remarkable boss at the time who... And who was very pro, you know, moving people through the business. And so as a result of that relationship, you know, I think he's probably one of my greatest mentors ever. Uh, I took a job down in Sydney. So I applied for a job to work for the Australian and the Daily Telegraph. And funny story, I didn't get the first offer because, get this, I had not completed a degree and they weren't looking at anything else on paper except the fact that, I didn't have the degree, so... That is, you know, that that is so spot on because I worked in newspapers, I worked in local papers when I was younger and I still remember when I was 20, my boss coming out and, and we were looking for a new sales rep or something and she said, we've had some applications and one of them has a degree. <laughs> and I said, so what? Like I've got a, I had at that stage a BA and I was like, you know, Lorraine, they're not worth the paper that they're written on, really. All they do is they tell you that people have spent three extra years kind of mucking around and having fun. And she was like, oh, no, no, like a person with a degree. And I remember at the time, so this was about probably around 1990-ish, it was something like 8% of managers in Australia had a degree. Yes. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. it's so funny. You must have been there just when they were thinking, oh, well, that, may- that means that, you know, they know what they're talking about as yeah. opposed to actually having a good brain. Well, I, I, it was interesting, right, because I think I really was in that same stage of change, you know, like because it, yeah. it didn't occur to me that that would ever be a problem. So I never, I never questioned applying for the job because of that because it didn't even, you know, it wasn't even a yeah. concern. But yeah, it when that happened, 
The very funny thing that happened though, right? I, I was very good at my job. Let's just say yeah. that. I, you know, it's like an, you know, I kind of, I think the analogy of looking at athletes, you know, when you're really great at something, you just obsess over something you love. That yep. was what it was like for me. So I just, you know, it didn't occur. It wasn't a problem. And, but funny enough, three months later, they rang me back and they asked me to take the job. <laughs> oh my God, three months. It wasn't like two days or something. No, That's because they, applied, they employed somebody who had a degree, but the person who, who came in didn't know what the hell they were doing. So <laughs> it was like they realized that, well, that didn't make any difference. So actually, let's go to the person who's got four years experience in doing what we're talking about, because that was the parallel, right? I'd, I'd come yeah. out, I'd started that job when I was 19. So I had three years of experience plus the 12 months of, and that was a full-time college diploma, mind you. Well, it was like 40 hours a week, full-time for a year. Yeah. So I just basically high intensity level of study in that short period of time. So... Uh, anyway, they came back and offered me the job. So brilliant! That was when I moved to Sydney. I worked for the Australian and the the Daily and the Sunday Telegraph. Um, I stayed there for six months. <laughs> uh, <laughs> technically, <laughs> technically speaking, let's just say I don't stick around when things don't work. And when I got there, we had a female boss, and uh, unfortunately. She really struggled in the business, which meant she didn't get, wasn't getting a lot of traction with where she wanted to take things. And so right. all of this team, all of the people in the team would complain about it. And I'm like, why would I stick around in a team where everyone's complaining about everything? Like, yeah. if we're not yeah. going anywhere, I'm not. Anyway, I started looking through at the time, and I think, I don't know if they, I'm pretty sure they still exist, but the trade publication at the times were called like Ad News and B&T. B&T are yeah. still around. Yeah. So Ad we used to get these well, every week, right? So I'd start looking through and looking at the job section and I found uh, they were uh, recruiting for Marie Claire as, was just launching at the time. And right. I thought to myself, oh, I would love to work for a brand like that. Anyway, lo and behold, I got the job. <laughs> Amazing. So then, and who, that was owned by ACP at the time, was it? No, that was Murdoch Magazine. So bizarrely Murdoch enough, I stuck magazine. to the family tradition yeah i worked at so that was murdoch magazine so they were launching marie claire went over there they had at the time better homes and gardens they would just launched better homes and gardens tv um we had family circle at the time uh and also and then not long after that we launched new woman magazine which was really cutting edge at the time you know it was the yes. first women's magazine to talk more about spiritual development, transformation type stuff. You know, we even did really weird things with Matt Hanbury called Circles. Right. Where we used to, you know, so you'd have team meetings where it was all got to be confidential. Like whatever happened was kind of what, you know, stays on tour. You go in there yeah, and you right. sit in a circle and you talk about your feelings. Wow. Yeah. Right, I love it. Yeah. Wow. How, wasn't that a, a few decades ahead of its time? Oh, it certainly was uh, at the time, and, and, and it was remarkable in its impact. You know, you kind of developed a really great relationship with your colleagues. and But that was that happened, and then I uh, – oh, I got headhunted after that. Yep. Right. I think that's the other thing that's, I think, consistent in my career is I ended up after that role. Well, I mean, the first job as it is, they came back and picked me up. I got headhunted pretty much after that. Um, I went to, so ACP had uh, sold off Elle magazine, which was a French right. publication. And the French publishers had come out to take it, take its ownership back because they weren't satisfied with the way that it was being promoted because it was Ooh. being marketed up against Cosmopolitan and Clio. And so it wasn't getting any airtime in the business. Yep. So the French publishers came out and they, uh, I got the phone call from the woman who I'd worked with at Murdoch. She was a marketing manager on New Woman and said, how about you come over as a research manager? And I was like, brilliant. So I did that. Bring and it on. That's kind of how my career went, but pretty much after that. Right, so you stayed in magazines and in media for, for what, 20 years, did oh, you say? Oh, yeah. Well, I, I think it was 2002 I did my – so, no, 2000. Yeah, just the Sydney Olympics, the year 2000. Yeah. I did my first ever personal development program and right. got an insight actually about how bloody awesome I was and how much I, <laughs> how much I was playing a small game in my life. Brilliant. And decided that it was time for me to really look at, is this what I want to do for the rest of my life? And I just thought, you know, I don't, I, I didn't want to do that. So I went and studied, uh, I went and did a, a coaching certification with a guy 
who now runs a company called Your Brain at Work. So it was all based in neuroscience and uh, results. Right. Uh, I went and studied, I went and became a personal trainer. <laughs> wow. So at this stage you, you'd left the other job or were you doing this on the side? I was, do- first of all, uh, so no, actually I quit. I quit. Yep, cool. I went in and I went, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm going to go do something different. I went and, so I did a very rapid, um, uh, you know, coaching certification. I then did the personal training thing. I went and studied nutrition and fitness Started being a personal trainer in my part time to earn some cash, um, yeah. and but then I had an accident actually. So as I was oh. doing that, I was in the kitchen making lunch and I dropped a knife on my foot. And Ow! Yeah, I severed the tendon in my right toe, and oh. was in hospital uh, having to have it stitched. But I could not walk for I had to be off my feet for eight weeks. So as you can imagine, my life as a personal trainer at that point just went pear-shaped. Oh, um, my God, you must have felt like the sky was falling in at the time. Oh, I did. I mean, you know, uh, it was like, How am I going to recover from this? Oh, my God, everything's over. Well, yeah, pretty much. I mean, I was like, I can't do anything. I mean, but, you know, I... As it turned out, I had just started training. Like, some of the people from the head office of Fitness First were training at the club where I was a personal trainer and I was speaking to one of them about it and she said oh you should go get a job then in the marketing department while you get your foot recovered you know recover where you're recovering oh smart move yeah I thought well yeah I can do that again so of course I did that I went and worked in marketing for fitness first and of course I got in there and I'm like um okay I'm doing what I was doing before but I'm getting paid half the amount of money this seems crazy um so I started as I was there. I, so I launched their first ever um, magazine. So I ended up doing media work while I was in Fitness First. So that was the year we launched all of the internal television networks. We launched their first magazine. So I custom published their first magazine. Amazing. Um, and, you know, I was like, oh, my God, I'm doing media again just in a different industry. And yet I'm getting paid. This is ridiculous. So, <laughs> I, so I quit. I was like, this is not working. So I quit that job um, yeah. and that was actually three months before I got married. So I thought, oh, I'll stuff it. I'll take six months off and I'll go get married and I'll get fit and then I'll work it all out later, right? Yeah. Uh, that's how I ended up back in media. So after that happened, six months after I got married, I went and worked at Fairfax again and then I went back. Th- yeah, then I, then I became the marketing In marketing director. again? In marketing at Fairfax? Uh, yeah. So I was in trade marketing at Fairfax on a contract for six months. I couldn't find anything full-time at that point. So nice. I took that role and then I got a call up from back at News Corp, uh, a guy that I'd worked with who was national sales director rang me back and said, listen, would you like to come over um, to the community newspaper business? He said, you know, they've got a big consumer team, but they've got no one with expertise in strategic planning and the B2B stuff. Would you like to come in? I said, I'll come and have a chat. And that's how I ended up back there. So I ended up running the uh, marketing department there. Um, Twelve months in, I uh, <laughs> I went from a you know predominantly a strategic B two B background, so business yeah. to business marketing. So using all of my data and research stuff to develop a marketing team. So I built a marketing team that was then combining both those areas, and uh, yeah, it just grew from there. Actually, so I got a promotion to marketing and strategy director, uh, and then I that was when I started having kids. <laughs> <laughs> Which changes everything. Oh my god. That could change. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> so what happened when you had kids and you were trying to juggle a job? Oh well firstly what I would say is, you know, it was a very, very challenging time and I think not only was I juggling, you know, return look the, to be honest from my perspective, the return to work with children was actually really straightforward. You know, I perhaps because I loved my job so much and I had great staff um, and I had a great team of people. I, I, I was very happy in my job and and I never let it be a problem. You know, like for me, I was intent on making it work. So I returned to work after my first kid, no problem. In fact, I got two I got a pay rise and a promotion on, on both maternity leaves with my first two kids. Wow, that's amazing. I don't think a lot of women would be able to say that. No, and you know, it's one of the things though, uh, Jules, that gives me the, uh, I suppose, the 
the strength in saying, you know, whenever there's a woman who gets stuck on, you know, it's because of my gender that I'm not getting where I need to be. And it's because I've had kids. And I'm like, no, 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 it's actually not because of that. And I know it's not because of that because it's possible to do that when you do have children. So it's not that it's to do with that. There are other things at play. So I had a really remarkable return. um, And, but at the same time, that was when um, technology and digital media was really disrupting the industry. So we had gone through a merger. We had acquired the federal publishing company and we were building two businesses together. So I got bought in to then do the restructuring of the, the operation uh, whilst I was kind of managing my, per- my maternity leave because it meant that I could do things, you know, p- bit... That were writing and thinking and that kind of thing as yeah. opposed to being in the office, yeah. Yeah, so I managed that kind of through that transition, which made, a you know, a, a good step for me to take the next step. So, but when it came to my third child, that's when thing went pear-shaped. Like I had three kids in the space of three years. So 2007, I had my first Crazy one. woman. 2008, I had my second one. Then 2010, I had my third one. And when I had right. my third one, I'm like, I just can't, I can't do full time anymore. This is ridiculous. You know, this yeah. something's got to give here. Um, well, but also because childcare is so bloody expensive that it was like, you know, it was going to probably cost, cost you more to have had them in childcare than to actually have, you know, um, to have worked. Look, I, I think, I'm, again, I may have been in the early stages of the cost prohibitive side of that because uh, the figures jumped enormously in, I yeah. think, the year after my third child. Uh, yeah. the fir- you know, I was fortunate in the first year, my son, so my firstborn, there was the $5,000 grant that they gave to, if you, for, for new yeah, mothers. Yeah. Um, I didn't get that with my second, but by the time a year after I had my third, all of a sudden fees were like a hundred bucks a day. So yeah, at that point there was the three children in daycare kind of situation. So it was very expensive. Um, So what did you decide to do? Well, I went back and I said to my boss, look, I still want my job. And he said, well, I want somebody full time. And I said, well, I don't, I can't. I can't give you full time. Can I not do it part time? And I was really pissed actually because I had spent the previous two years writing out a strategic plan for the rebranding of all of News Limited's community newspapers for New South Wales. And I'd not only done the entire redesign, but I'd written the strategic plan for the implementation. And that was when I took my last lot of maternity leave. So they brought somebody else in right at the implementation time. And so when I came back, I was like, look, I just really want to finish that project. And he said, well, I can't. He says, I need somebody in there full time. And I was not happy, chappy. Oh, I bet. I'd be furious. Anyway, look, we did negotiate a part time. So I basically, I negotiated to split my role. I had marketing and strategy director. So I uh, negotiated taking the strategy part of the job. uh, And then I just worked three days a week doing that, um, juggling three kids. And, but you know, that was not enough for me. Three months, I think. Uh, I, I was probably about three, four, maybe months into it. I was bored. Yeah, I, was, yeah, I bet you were. I was bored. <laughs> Sitting I, in a little room, writing by yourself. Yeah, pretty much. No staff. So all of a sudden, no staff. Oh, and by the way, my office that I was in was outside the executive boardroom where they would have the meetings where I was part of that team, but I was no longer part of the team. So right. I, I was like, this ain't right. You know, like I didn't go work 20 years of my life to get to this point and then be stuck in a corner like baby off dirty dancing. Like that's just not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Well, nobody keeps baby in a corner. So that, I'm guessing no, that's exactly. what happened with you. So No, so is, I wasn't putting up with that. So I spent about six months, I reckon, really looking at what am I going to do next? What what's I, you know, What's the future looks like for me? And that's really when I started unpacking my transition plan. And that's when I made the change out of marketing into change management and I went and studied again yep. went back to university and of course because you know I what I didn't mention is when I did take that job in Sydney I went and studied part-time so I was studying at uni part-time okay yeah. um and so I went back and so at this stage I was going back to do a postgrad in change management and uh, I was 12 months into that when they restructured the company at News Corp I don't know if you remember but we had 19 divisions at News Limited, and we so they restructured. They brought in Kim Williams, 
uh, and they centralized it down to five. And so then I was asked to come in and manage the restructuring uh, of the of the division. And so I just by default fell into a change role at that point. Okay, so at what stage did was that or was there a light bulb moment when you suddenly decided, you know, I, I'm going to go out on my own? Was um, there something that happened, or was it just a gradual thing? It was. Uh, it was a bit of both. I so what happened was when I took that role, I was put in as on a secondment, so I wasn't considered like I had no. There's no done deal that I had a job. So right. I was doing a job called change and strategy planning manager, but I was on secondment, which meant I could have very easily lost, you know, been out of a job. So during that time, I was at work on redefining what I was going to do next. So I was in the conversation a lot for that. But what happened was I was like, I remember bumping into a couple of ladies when I was having coffee and, you know, they'd ask, oh, you know, how are you going? And, and I was honest. I said, really, <laughs> shit. I said, I'm really pissed off. I said, because here I am, you know, like I got all this way through my career and now I'm stuck on the sidelines and I'm doing great work. I said, but I've lost all the parts of the job that I love. And they said, oh, me too. So I, they, and I asked them, well, what are you doing? Oh, nothing. I would go, well, I what? And I just started sharing with them what I was doing around my values and strengths and, you know, rewriting out my future and looking at a new plan and, and, you know, I just ended up with a bunch of women with me doing this. I think that's the short version, you know, like I ended up so, running. So basic. So from that initial sort of meeting them over coffee, you kind of brought them into a little group and you yeah. all sort of. Yeah. And I was out, running. So together. at lunchtimes on Thursdays, I was right. running a one hour, I suppose you'd call it like a group workshop webinar get together with a bunch of women who were in senior like exec roles trying right. to juggle that with the fact that they've got children and we're really, you know, kind of working out where do I go to next? And it was in that meeting. In fact, one of the first conversations we had was to go around the group and ask about why you're here and what do you want to get out of it? And the thing that there was a definite aha moment in that because every single woman literally had expressed the same thing. And one of them that struck me was all of them said they were lacking in confidence. Wow. Um, and these really? Were, and yet they were all senior execs? Isn't yeah, that interesting? these were. And this is why I was shocked, Jules, because every yeah. single one in that room, like you're talking about women who had, same as me, you know, like 20, almost 20 years of experience in an industry, like smart, smart, smart women. And, but because they were taken out of what was the, you know, the area of comfort expertise zone and their area of expertise, they were challenged. They're like, okay, well, who am I, who am I if I'm not my job? Oh my God. Amazing. So what did you do with that? So, so you started the group and then what happened? Well, I just kept running the weekly sessions. And then one of the ladies who was actually the ex CMO of Kellogg's. So uh, what happened was, you know, what started with a few, a, a few of people who I knew who were friends of mine outside of news. Then I had women who were also from within news, but then we started, I think it was maybe five weeks in, we had 55 women in the group because those women who were in there going, can I invite this other friend of mine? You know, she's going through the same thing and just kind of grew like that. So we had 55 women rocking up on these things. The CMO from Colleg, uh, Kellogg's at the time was going through the same thing. She started writing a book and doing some research and she said, oh, I'm really nervous. She said about speaking in public. And I was like, are you serious? I said, no way. I said, well, what about if we just organized an event with all of us and we all just invited one close friend to each? That's a hundred women. We'll get you in a room and, you know, it'll be nurturing and supportive and you can speak with us. I said, would that be all right? And she said, are you kidding? She said, that would be amazing. <laughs> so right. we did. And uh, we didn't have 110. We had 160, I think we had in the end, wow. roughly. Uh, and it was incredibly successful, but of course I don't like to do things in halves. So I thought if we're going to get a hundred and six, we've got 160 in the room. I'm not just going to do one speaker. I started ringing people around going, who do you know? Who's a woman who's got a great story? Cause of course by that stage, I think it was 2014, I had been coaching for 14 years. So I knew of many women who had remarkable stories and transitions from the work that I'd done in coaching them. And I reached out to them and I said, listen, you've got a really great story. Would you share? She says, oh, not me personally. She said, but I do know somebody who's looking to do that. They want to write a book. And 
So I ended up with um, four or five women who got up and we just ran it like a TED event, you know. We literally got them yeah. to get up and do 15 minutes and share their story. And, uh, yeah, it just was remarkable. Like, in transformational, I would say, because women came out of that going, oh, my God, and I've just seen that I've sat on this decision that I've been in this relationship for the last 10 years and I've not taken action. She said, oh, I'm getting to get up and do something about it. <laughs> oh, like, my goodness. So real, really big decisions being made. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and so then, where did and the that lead you? Part of it too was out of those sessions, we'd have. I remember there was one lady who was heading up a manufacturing department, and all the other leaders were men. She was on the executive team. They all had offices. She didn't. They all had car spots. She didn't. But of course, when she'd come to the workshops and she'd tell us that, we'd say, "Go and ask for it. You deserve it." Oh, you know, it's not really that important to me. We're like, oh, we don't care if it's important. <laughs> it's important. It's about to us. having equality. Go and yeah. do it. So she did. She blew herself away. Right? Oh, she. She was just mere fact that she didn't even ask for it. Yeah. The well, second... I, that's one of the things I always say. You don't get it if you don't ask for it. Exactly. A lot of the time, anyway. Exactly. And we was like, you know what? We know it's not important and we know it's not why you do what you do. But listen, if you want to take a stand for something here, you've got to be willing to just go and have the conversation because you're not, it's not just about the thing. It is about ensuring that you have the experience of being yep. equal on an on equal par with everybody else. And so she did and she got it. So it was really, you know, those were the real highlight moments, I think, for me and where I realised you know, I'm more fulfilled. So the transition for me came when I was like, I am more fulfilled in doing this work than I am in doing my primary job. And at that point, I started to look for how can I get myself out of here uh, and into something I, I love. And so I went to my boss and, you know, fortunately at the time, because I wasn't really at that level, you know, I talk a lot about people being punching below their weight. I, for myself, was punching below my weight because here I was, you know, in a change in strategy role at an executive level, but I was not leading a staff of people anymore. I didn't have a a budget line accountability. So I went to my boss at the time, who I'd known for, you know, my entire career, and I said to him, I said, listen, you're overpaying me for what I'm doing. I think you need to find a way to get me out of the business or bring somebody else in. I said, you could pay three full-time people to do what I'm doing. And you'd get more out of it. So yeah. I, I planted that seed. And of course, it came a little bit premature for me, <laughs> to be honest. So six, <laughs> mu- six months later, he comes. It was just after Christmas. And he says, right. He said, okay, we can either give you a full-time communications role or you can take the redundancy. Of course, I'm like, I'll take the redundancy, thanks. <laughs> yeah, nice. Yeah. So I did that and that was my exit. So I then spent the next 12 months starting to, you know, I did the, uh, you know, look, in hindsight, my biggest regret was that I actually hadn't done that work. And I, you know, I mean, there's some things you can't, you just can't control. And I couldn't control the timing of that. And looking back, it's one of the things I always recommend with anyone who's making an exit plan is to do the preparation and the planning to make sure you've got your financial transition sorted out before you do that. Because, for me, what happened is I used all that money for the first 12 months where I was actually out of paid employment and I had to invest that money to take care of all of my household expenses, but it meant I was behind the eight ball on earning any money. Yeah, right. Yes, and I, don't, and I think that that's common. I mean, I did the same thing when I sold my house. I put all the money into building the thing and didn't even think about what was I going to live on. Yes. Um, especially because we kind of also sometimes, well, I certainly did assume that whatever we set up, it's going to give us immediate income. Yes. And you forget that there's going to be a, a period where it's going to slowly kind of creep up as opposed to, you know, giving you everything you want straight away. So, so you, so you'd left the business, you did the redundancy. So what came next? Where, where was the first business that you set up? Yeah, so at that stage I was running, uh, so the events we were doing for that women's mentoring group, uh, we, I literally mobilised that into a not for, you know, huge decision-making period over that time uh, yeah. with the team about, you know, what do we do with this? You know, it, there was just so much traction and we know we'd run a couple more events which were really successful 
Um, and we also I always ran them at it, very low price. Didn't you mention to me that you had over three hundred people at one of them? Yeah, three hundred and twenty yeah. or something. That's incredible. Yeah. We, so the the that was actually ironically it was the second one. So it, so you know I, I leveraged off the partnerships that I'd had from we, at the time being in media. I just called in on you know the women in media network. We did a partnership with them. Um, some of the women we had in the group were for, from other organisations. So I went to quite at that stage. That was where my first. Uh, interaction came with the diversity team at Qantas. Um, right. And so we got them involved in the next event and we had one of their speakers who was a female running a, you know, a, a traditionally male-dominated area in the business to come and speak at the event. So that second one we ran at UTS, um, I, I was my dream format. I ran it like a like an Oprah event. Uh, <laughs> I had, was interviewing, I had, uh, we had a couch, we had two different segments we ran a segment that was predominantly with women who were dealing with that challenge and we ran you know three on that stage and then we had a segment that was more around the leadership side of things and that was mixed with we had Tracy Spicer a woman in Qantas and Nigel Marsh and we talked specifically around leadership Um, and then we had another part with a guy who was uh, more of the health-related things on terms of the challenges that people were really dealing with in life to see how they could find a way to deal with the more complex and challenging issues because he'd lost his daughter who was eight years to brain cancer. Um, oh. And so we really dealt with some of the hard stuff as well on in those conversations. And, yeah, so that one had over 300. And so that after those two, we went, right, with, this is really extraordinary so we set up uh, Team Women Australia at that point, you know, as a not-for-profit because we knew to, we wanted to keep the pricing low so we could have a bigger impact in the market. Yeah. The problem with that was, of course, we then didn't have sufficient uh, money to pay full-time people. So we were running volunteers. And so that was very short-lived because during that time, um, you know, I, of course, had to start getting paid. I couldn't keep, you know, doing running that like everything that. everything so, nothing, yeah. So what I decided to do at that point is what I, I didn't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, like I was like, I don't just want to turn this into a profit generating business, change its intention and purpose. So I decided to then put my attention on splitting it. So I had half my time on Team Women Australia and then I started putting my emphasis um, on building my coaching practice on the performance code, which was then more about leadership coaching, similar kind of servicing really, but just was going to corporates on that. Yeah. So then, I, then of course, I had my time split between the two, um, <laughs> which as you know, when you've got yourself spread so thinly, it's really hard to get mobilized as big as what you can. So I just had to really... Um, relax my expectations on how quickly I was going to get something built because I needed to make sure I was earning income. See, now, Jules, if I didn't have three kids in a household and I could just put everything into it, not a problem, but I had to earn enough money. I had to replace my income from my corporate job, which was not an easy thing to do. So I just had to relax my expectations about it. Yeah. And then you know, and so last year, uh, I successfully turned that around. So I was earning equivalent of my full-time salary in my coaching business. Right. And of course, at that point, I found a tech platform who was doing the mentoring. And I thought, great, we can get this mobilized. And I thought, well, I will wait till the beginning of the new year, right? So that we can kick something off around March. Do you March. mean the beginning of, course, of 2020, which has just yes! been such a ride for everyone? <laughs> Yes. So, you know, I came into 2020 going, this is great. You know, I've got the financial basis now, my coaching business. I've got the tech platform ready to go for the mentoring team women business. And then COVID happened. (laughs) I know. Well, look, COVID is teaching lots of us lots of lessons. That's for sure. Yes. (laughs) So have you, So, so, so is that still the plan for later this year or has the timeout given you other ideas or, or what, what's the plan moving forward now? Yeah, so of course, my back again, my number one priority is to ensure that my efforts go into generating income. So it has been an interesting time because in, you know, my, there's, there's managing my desire to do what I know the market serves. At the same time, I've got to take care of my needs first. Yeah. So it's a very, it's interesting because I'm, it's, it's a t- thing that I'm very torn about, but I have to, 
you know, do what I say to my clients, which is, you know, do more of stop asking what the world needs and start doing more of what you love. And then the world, because the world needs more of what you love. Yeah. Um, so I've just gone really hard on my core business of coaching um, around leadership transformation and resilience and well-being. Yeah. And at a point where I am able to, where my financial situation is taken care of, then I can start to look at what I'm going to do to mobilize uh, the team women uh, mentoring business. But I've got to tell you, Jules, on a week-to-week basis, I have to actively make sure I'm doing that because it is habitual for me. I've spent my entire life focused on looking for, as a marketer, that's our job is to go look at what the market needs, create a product, solve the problem. And I tell you, even now, I look at it and I go, now is the perfect opportunity in the market to provide this online mentoring. But the problem is it would be still for nothing because nobody's paying anything in that space, which means I would still then continue to give my time for something that's not paying me anything. And yeah, I can't no, be you doing can't. that. I mean, and, and that's a, le- a lesson I think that, again, we all learn where you start saying, I can't keep doing it for nothing. So what am I going to do to make it? And, and, you know, what you have built with Team Women Australia could well attract sponsorship. It could well attract something. Or you'll have a light bulb moment where you'll go, that's it. I'll roll my coaching into it or something and it will all come together because I can't, I can't imagine that it will disappear when you have that many followers and you're helping that many women. So something yeah, will come. And- well, and that's the thing that I, ha- I think I've got to as well, you know, Jules, is when I did the work on my purpose, my purpose does sit underneath both. And in yeah. fact, I think from that perspective, because my mission with developing team women was to advance female leaders. Yeah. So that these are the same with my coaching business. I was going to say business. that's exactly what you're doing anyway. That's right. Um, and, and the way to monetize it and the way to bring it all together, it will, it will definitely happen. I just feel like... I've done so many of these and, and one of the sort of things that the woo-woo women love talking about is the rise of the feminine and that this is happening right now and that that is part of the reason why society as we know it is breaking down in some ways um, to sort of allow this change to happen. So I don't have any doubt at all, Kylie, that, that, that you will arise with Team Women Australia in some shape or form probably before the end of this year. I can just feel it. It'll happen. <laughs> Well, As they I, say, I can I'm, feel it in my water. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Look, I mean, at the end of the day, I my intention is to disrupt the traditional hierarchical model of leadership. Because, yeah, great. Woohoo, I'm with you. <laughs> yeah, you know, and so I, you know, as long as I fulfill on that intention, uh, I, I, and which is what I'm, is now starting to happen, you know, with the podcast that I've got going on, uh, yes. The work that I, and and a lot of, look a lot of my clients anyway in the coaching business are women so it's it is all folding into one and I'm I'm really it's just nice to be able to get women to experience themselves as a leader without feeling like they've got that constraint of whether they have to have the you know the title or you yeah, know that exactly exactly yeah. I mean we basically just need now to um, all of us I think just sort of you know that th- I guess I'm a big one about empower the women around you but. There are loads and loads of really strong women. And the more I do She's the Boss, the more I realise there are. And they all want what we want. So yes. somehow or other, we will all yes. come together. But yeah, listen, and, uh, um, and- we have only got a little bit of time left. And I normally would... Well, the, no, I'm not going to do I normally would. Tell me how you are juggling. So you've got three kids like I do. How in heaven's name are you juggling work and life? What, what sort of hours are you putting in? Uh, well, firstly, I'd have to say I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it just happens. <laughs> I don't know how many hours I'm putting in. All I know is, uh, so I've, I've structured my life according to what I know is a priority. And I got diagnosed with an autoimmune condition in 2015. And unfortunately, at that stage, I had to take pretty much a year off wow. working um, right. to take care of my health. And so... As I came back into managing work, I had to, that was where I was like, right, there are certain things that must take a priority and my self-care is the number one thing that goes onto my schedule. So I now look at a week-to-week basis when I look at my schedule. The first thing that goes in before anything else is my my self-care. Am I going to the gym? 
you know, what am I doing to make sure I've got the right nutrients in my diet? My morning routine starts with feeding myself before I feed my kids. Now, my kids are now old enough that they can feed themselves, thank God. Um, so I, it's about prioritizing that for me. Um, so if I put in that first, then what comes next is my kids. Yeah. So I do both the mornings and the afternoons from school. Yeah. And then what happens in the middle is my work time. So right. Technically speaking, I get roughly between 9.30 and 3.30 is when I work. Um, And then there's a bit of flexibility in that. So sometimes, you know, if I'm not doing a day during the week, I might top it up with some time on the weekend or I might do a late night. It it just is fluid. And which is one of the reasons why I'm an ambassador. So I'm an ambassador for flexible working day um, because really I've mastered how to make sure that you it's it's not based on hours it's actually based on outcome yes and I did it's funny the hours that you talk about are pretty much what I did when my kids were younger I've now got teenagers and they kind of I can kind of leave them to do what they want so I'm able to work a lot more but how old are your kids now uh 13 11 and 10 yep so you're right in that you're right in the middle of really having to look after them for probably another four years five years and, oh. then, and then they'll all be able to look after themselves and that'll open things up for you a little bit more. Yeah, um, but I think, listen, I think the fit thing to say is it's not. It's very difficult and I think the biggest challenge that I've got at the moment is I, this is the first year where I've really had to deal with what it looks like to have a teenager and it's incredibly challenging. <laughs> I know. Um, I very... know. I've got twins who are 14 at the moment. Oh I know my exactly what um, you're talking about. Two boys. All right, so um, let's just do a little light-hearted ending that I like to do on these. So is there a quirky fact about you that most people don't know that you'd be prepared to share with us? Quirky? Yes. Oh, that's interesting. Something a little quirky. bit weird, like, for instance, I've had people tell me that, um, you know, they, they learn Chinese at night or that they uh, were the... One person told me that they were the start of the big red chair for Graham Norton, which I thought was incredibly cool. Somebody had won Sale of the Century. Oh, okay. I'm not, I'm not saying you've done all of those, but <laughs> how amazing. Fabulous. I do like to ask just in case. Okay, I mean, all right. Well, I'll give you a few things that people would never know about me because of the way, especially because of the way I look. So first thing, I am Indigenous. Um, wow. So I am um, an Aboriginal woman. And yep. so I've got white skin. I do not look like that. So clearly I am. I am a descendant <laughs> of the stolen generation. So I have a huge background story there. Wow. Um, my mother was pretty much in a home with her sisters until she was 15. So, and there was a domestic violence background there so I do come from a very kind of supposed very diverse coloured full background. You do. The other thing that's very quirky though in uh, when I was 21 I was the runner-up in the Missed Gold Coast pageant. Stop um, it you were not. I was. <laughs> so um, I had beauty, a fabulous photo. From beauty I even, got, pageant. even though I came second the the national committee for Miss Australia rang me up and asked if I would still go through to the next round. Um, oh my! That's a great one. That is such a good quirky thing from beauty pageant. From beauty, <laughs> that's a headline from beauty pageant to women's advocate or something. I love which it. Which I think is quite power. I mean, don't you think that's crazy? I mean, I look at it and I think to myself, "You were what Miss Gold Coast <laughs> Miss Australia pageant? Are you kidding me?" Well, you are all about transformation, and that is a pretty bloody good transformation. So I love it. Yes. Okay, now just two stupid little questions that I ask everyone because I'm a little bit obsessed with my phone and apps yes. and I know and some people tell me they aren't at all. But yes. if you are, what would be the two most useful apps that on your phone for business, not including banking and social? Not uh, apps. Oh, yeah. one is the is Driven. Oh, it's called what's Driven, Driven Resilience. Yeah, so it is a uh, resilience tool so I use it all the time it's one of the ones I use for all my clients it's actually why I'm so effective is all about brain health oh um, I'll have to look that one up uh yeah the other one uh gosh uh well okay well the other one that I use well see I'm very health oriented when it comes to the apps on my phone in fact yeah. I read a book that would trained me to take every, every app off my phone so I don't have distractions. So oh, the, two apps, the only two apps that I now have, with the exception of Instagram, are VShred, which is a my personal trainer, right. and um, Driven Resilience, which is my mental brain health Oh, app. well, I love it. Aren't you good? That's a, And, you know, funnily enough, 
with most women that I've spoken to, there does tend to be something around meditation and yes. mindfulness and mental health. So you're not alone. And what yes. about, so you've, you don't have any fun, I guess if you've taken all your apps off, then you don't have any sort of games or anything that you play on there. No, no. Not like me with Candy Crush, which I'm almost ashamed to be on like level 3000 and something or other or (laughs) or words with friends. (laughs) No, and I guess for me, Jules, it's because I do have three children. So I've, I've kind of, the time that I would typically do that, I either read a book, I go and have a massage or I just, I actively sit with my kids yeah no I think that that's a a much wiser thing to do I cannot go to bed without doing my um my little apps before I go to sleep and then I go to sleep dreaming about candy crush things going up and down (laughs) in lines (laughs) (laughs) oh my god I'm crazy well look Kylie thank you so so much for this interview it's been brilliant do you want to let people know how they can get hold of you yeah look I think the easiest place is always LinkedIn um you know, anyone can easily find me on there. So they're all the performancecode.co. Right. Okay, brilliant. Well, and, and the other thing is if there are any women here who are in leadership or listening that want to, then they can still join Team Women Australia, I assume. Oh, yeah. Look, we, I think the easy we do have a website and a Facebook page. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if, if I, it, I'm sure if the, I'm, I'm pretty sure we're still pretty much the number one ranking. I think if you go through to Google search that. Amazing, because um, my my boyfriend went and searched yesterday for She's the Boss and my website couldn't find it anywhere on the first two pages. So you've done much better than me. Well done. Oh, well, it takes a bit of time. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, it has been brilliant to chat to you. Thank you so much. I'm sure people will really be fascinated with your story. Thanks, Jules. um, I look forward to seeing you transform yourself as this year bloody this bloody awful year of lockdown yes yeah and look, thanks what... for having me and, and congratulations on the work you're doing with she's the boss it's fantastic oh thank you well i'm sure we will um connect in lots of ways going forward yeah thanks jules i hope you've enjoyed this she's the boss chat episode it was great to have you here if you want to stay in touch you might also like some of the other things that we've got going on with she's the boss Firstly, I've got the She's the Boss show, which is on Ticker TV. Now, you can watch that either on tickertv.com.au or you can download the Ticker app from any of the app stores. So Apple and Android, and they've got an app that is for your phone, for your iPad or tablet, and for the smart TV. Or you could join us for our free Zoom lunches for female founders that we hold online. The best way to do any of these things really is go to she'stheboss.com.au and on there you can register for the lunches and I've also got links to the website. So either way, I hope you've enjoyed it. I'm really enjoying digging down and getting down to the nitty gritty with these women and I hope you'll join me for the next episode. 